0: this week, we go back to the Blitz to look at the role of the Air Raid Warden. A huge network of civil defence workers was set up in Britain in the Second World War and out of that, of course, later grew the Cold War's Civil Defence Corps. So, let's go back to the start and see what the Air Raid Warden did and what the public thought of them. For the sake of entertainment and storytelling, I'm going to zoom in today on newspaper stories from the archives where angry and irritated or drunk people would take out their wartime fears and frustrations on the local air raid and, and maybe we can see some similarities there between the poor wardens of the Blitz and the police just now who are seen by some as nagging or interfering as they patrol parks in the sunshine and tell people to get home. Officially, of course, it's for our own good. And just as during the war, there were people who just couldn't take that, and who bridled at being told what to do. Most air raid wardens were part-time volunteers, and they'd put in a shift at night after work. And when the siren started to wail, and everyone took cover, and the drone of the bombers got louder, The warden would, with what I think is spectacular bravery, go out into the streets. Wardens would be local people, and it was their job to know everyone on their patch. Who lived at each number in the street, if they had any guests or evacuees living with them, if anyone at the house was elderly or disabled and needed assistance, if they had an Anderson shelter at the bottom of the garden or if they'd be scooting to a public shelter. They had to know their patch really well, not just who lived in it, but what facilities and what dangers were contained within it. So they had to know where was the local rest centre, the local first aid post, yes, but they also had to know was there anything of danger nearby, like a chemical works or supplies of oil or petrol, etc. So, they'd be out on their streets, in the blackout, with the planes coming nearer, maybe even with the bombs dropping around them. And they'd be popping their heads in here and there. Everyone in their patch okay? Everyone in shelter? Come on, hurry along there! Get to shelter! Come on, come on, come on! They'd help people who needed it. Whether it was an old lady carrying blankets to the shelter, or a chap with a limp, or a mother with panicked children. And when everyone on their patch had taken cover, the warden would keep patrolling the streets until the all-clear sounded. And quoting from Juliet Gardner's brilliant book, Wartime Britain, Until the all-clear sounded, those wardens who were not fully engaged at an incident would tour their sector, usually in pairs, at considerable personal risk from bombs, shrapnel and falling masonry, making sure that throughout the night they regularly put their heads in at all the public shelters on their beat, partly to see if anything was needed, but mainly to maintain morale. The sight of a tin hat and the knowledge that someone was out there and in control was reassuring as the raids raged overhead. Of course, the patrolling and popping their heads into the shelters to make sure everything was okay That was their task on a good night when no bombs had fallen on their patch. But if they were attacked, if they were bombed, then the warden would assess what had happened, run back to their post. The post might be a simple room in a local school or the town hall. It might even be a warden's individual living room, which had been turned over for that purpose for the night. He'd run back to his post and phone for help. Again, quoting from Juliet Gardner's book about the duties of a warden after a bomb has dropped nearby. I go into a house, decide who's alive and who's dead, tot up the number of victims and what is necessary in the way of fire services, ambulances, demolition, etc. wrote a Kent ARP warden who thought that, quote, women warders are better than men in most cases. Not all. They can see in a moment who's in the house because they know what to look for. If the kettle's on the stove, they know the occupants are probably downstairs and have not gone to bed. If there's a cot, they know there's a baby about somewhere. It goes on to say, If an incendiary had started a small fire, the wardens would try to put it out themselves with any passing help available, without summoning the fire services. They would administer first aid if there were minor casualties, and direct anyone who no longer had a habitable home to a rest centre. But of course, if the incident was out of their control, if it was too big for a warden to handle, they would, as I said, ring for help and bring in fire, ambulance and civil defence workers, including the rescue squads, to try and get people out from under the rubble. The rubble of their own house. So that's some heroic stuff. How could anyone have a complaint about their local air raid warden? How could anyone object to that? Ah, but some people did, because that's what some people do, isn't it? They moan, there's always someone. In the case of Raid Wardens, there were even people who lashed out, kicked them, hit them, shouted abuse at them. And I'm sorry, Wardens, but I find that comforting. So often... In British discourse we get sentimental about the Blitz and the famed Blitz spirit and it can be easy to get carried away and think that Britain during the Blitz must have been a place of heroes and stout-hearted people and great community spirit and the refusal to be cowed by the enemy. And then you look around now and you just see a bunch of dafties taking selfies and think, oh, we've fallen so far then all it takes is a few minutes of research to be able to peep behind that sentimental image of Britain and see that even in the midst of undoubted heart and heroism, there were still even then, as we call them in Glasgow, total BAMs. So let's go through the newspaper archives and see what some of these uh, total BAMs were up to. I've got a good story here from July 1939 where a local air raid warden in Salisbury, a Mr. Frederick Lake, called at the house of Colonel Thurston. He was in the neighbourhood giving advice about gas masks. Of course, everyone in Britain was issued with a gas mask as we anticipated Hitler would use gas against us. Well, Mr. Lake was invited into the kitchen by the maid to fit her with a gas mask. That does sound a bit like a corny excuse, but that is what happened. But the colonel spotted him and cried, What the devil are you doing in my house? He later explained to the court that he was angry that the warden had not sought his permission, but had just tripped on in on the invitation of the maid. And so the colonel pushed the warden down the stairs and out into the street, to which Lake said, you are a silly old fool. When the police arrived, the colonel's response was, the king himself won't come into my house without permission, much less a two-penny, half-penny fellow who comes along like that. If that is how they do things in Salisbury, God help us. In court, the policeman said that when the angry colonel had phoned them, He's had to hold the receiver away from his ear because he was so loud. He said it was the voice of a man in a raging temper. Well, the colonel was found guilty of assault and reminded in court that the warden was only offering assistance and doing so on a voluntary, unpaid basis. So, you know, a bit of respect, please, colonel. Here's another tale of high jinks against wardens. This one from London on the 5th of September 1939. So uh, a couple of days after war was declared. The newspaper story says three men were up in court for attacking air raid wardens. Teenager was jailed for four... That's bomba snoring. A teenager was jailed for 14 days for kicking a warden on the leg. Second bloke from Brentford refused to take shelter when ordered to and challenged the local warden to a fight. He was fined for being drunk and disorderly. And the worst story of the lot, a Mr Henry Singler from Stratford, East London, was fined £5 for obstructing a warden in his duty and then, just to make it worse, stealing a baby's gas mask. The article says, Richard Rayner, a warden, said while distributing baby's respirators at the St Paul's School on Sunday morning, Shingler came into the room pushed wardens on one side, overturned forms and went to a table and took a respirator. The incident occurred during the air raid alarm period and some 30 people at the school were greatly upset. And of course it wasn't just blokes who were attacking the air raid wardens. In May 1940, the Liverpool Echo reported that a Miss Margaret Reynolds has been bailed, accused of causing grievous bodily harm to an elderly warden. The article tells us that the warden was on patrol one night and saw Miss Reynolds on the street shining a torch and aiming the beam upwards to the sky. Of course, that was against blackout regulations. So he asked her, in a friendly manner, to please aim the beam at the ground. And I'll quote from the article here. He told her he was an ARP warden and she replied... All you people are a damn lot of nuisances. She then, it was alleged, hit him over the face with her hand and followed this up with a blow in his face with her torch. Mr Foley, the warden, was taken by the police to Stanley Hospital, where the injury to his face was treated. On the morning of May 19th, Detective Christie saw Miss Reynolds at her home and told her he believed she had injured Mr Foley and she replied, he deserved it. When told she would be arrested, she said, he is a damn nuisance like all the ARP people. I hit him with this torch for interfering. There are also lots of stories of householders taking offence when a warden knocks on the door and asks them to cover their windows. There was one incident in Hampshire where the householder accused the wardens of prowling around his house And he opened the doors to them with a gun. Maybe people were particularly sensitive about being made to enforce blackout regulations as that involved the authorities, the outsiders, actually telling you how to arrange or conduct yourself in your home. Indeed, there was so much bitching and moaning and kicking that articles began to appear in the press reminding us all to be nice to the warden such as this one from the North Wiltshire Herald in September 1939. Be friendly to your warden. Courtesy has always been the mark of noble nature. The warden belongs to the home guard and mounts sentry while we work or sleep or entertain friends. He may challenge you, but in your own interest alone. A polite greeting with a grin can be the password to the safety of the community. Considerate folk will recall that wardens are not themselves free of this sense of strain. Some will have voluntarily left the care of their own folk for patrol duty. Consider the warden and lend your aid. So that was our quick look at air raid wardens during the Blitz and the... Frustrated, unpleasant, angry, or just plain drunk people who took out their frustrations on them. What we might do in the next couple of weeks is is move on to the Civil Defence Corps of the Cold War. As I said at the beginning, they kind of grew out of the air raid precautions workers of the Second World War, lending, I think, our Cold War Civil Defence a bit of naivety. Because in the early stages of the Cold War, the thinking was, well, it worked brilliantly in the Second World War. Why can't we keep doing it? And of course, our defences, our civil defence, and the Second World War was no match for the hydrogen bomb. Before I go, let me say thank you to my patrons. I have two new patrons who've signed up. So thank you to Chris M. and Will Crystal Beth Feel Betrayed? Thanks also to... Hack Green, Secret Nuclear Bunker, Gary Watson, Arika, Lucy Stegerwald, Paul Jonathan Viner, Tom Allen, Sally Everett Brick, Louis, Hallie Andrews and Chris Carini.